Hello everybody, my name's Colin D. Ellis and welcome to the Culture and Coffee podcast where I discuss a news story or a topic of workplace culture and some practical things that you can do over the time it takes to drink a cup of coffee. So let's get into today's episode. Hello everybody, Uh, on today's podcast I'm going to talk about five things that great cultures do, just just five things. But for me, these are the five uh, truly important things. Now, like everything on the on the podcast, I just give you some things to try yourself as well. And I hope you get that sense of, hey, the, we, we can do these things uh, too. Now, often when I uh, work with organizations, uh, what I hear is, oh, we, we, you know, we want a Red Bull culture. People know I work with Red Bull. We want a Red Bull culture. We want a Netflix culture. We want a Spotify culture. We want a Google culture. And, and you know, it, it, it's kind of good that they've got that vision in mind, that that's where they want to be. Um, but usually there's, there's, there's something missing. What they want to do is, is copy someone else's culture. And of course you can't copy someone else's culture. Um, and so whenever I start with, with new organizations, you know, I kind of go through a little bit of a process to, to find out where they're at. You know, the first thing I do is, you know, what kind of intention is there to actually change what you, what you have right now? Um, I, you know, certainly for me that, intention has got to be there from a senior management perspective now, you know often i'll work with just a, an individual senior manager and their team who say you know we've got a team of let's say 100 people we we really want to transform the way that we do things and everyone's got to be behind that everyone so that intention is the first thing that i check and of course i can i can help with that by providing some statistics about why it's important you know and, and some case studies as i'll do today but that intention has got to be 100%. That's the first element. The second element is kind of what knowledge do you have about culture? And what knowledge do you have about the change process? One of the requests I've had is to do a podcast on change management, which I'll do in, in the next couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, there isn't much knowledge, even from people who have people and culture in their title, they still don't really fundamentally understand what culture is how it's built and in a previous podcast I I talked about this you know and often that's where I add the most value is I'll talk through some of these things but but I help people not only to understand culture but also help them to do it because then the third thing that I check is well you know what actions have you taken you know often people will do a, a, a um like an engagement survey and they'll come up with a lot of actions and you know have you actually taken any of those actions if you haven't then it's likely that engagement will be affected because people are like well hang on a minute we told you what wasn't working and you haven't done it Uh, so you know that knowledge has got to inspire action and and do some things differently and then the last thing is you know what impact have those actions had on the way that you do things and you you either need to double down and do more things or you get to a point where okay we're doing the right things for now um, but you really have to understand so you know for me you know when you look at great cultures is there's there's full intention there's widespread knowledge they take action and the result of that action is positive impact and what that then does is it generates a growth mindset people want to do more stuff so, you know, all of these things really, uh, um, uh, these are all things that I check 
you know, before I actually start. And, 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 you know, kind of the reason that people bring me in is is because why would they entrust any kind of culture change with organisations that have a bad culture? <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, these five things, I'm going to give you uh, some case studies of people that do them. So you can ask yourself, OK, well, did we have that knowledge? If we did, great. What action do we need to take? And then, you know, what impact are we looking for? Otherwise, hopefully it's new knowledge to inspire uh, some action. And all of these things are possible in every single culture. All right. And, and uh, I know that because I've seen them and I've seen them happen. So let's start with the first one which is the, the most obvious one. And, and, you know, the question that I get asked most when I speak at conferences is, you know, kind of why, why do organisations have poor working cultures? And it's a really obvious answer. And the obvious answer is that people don't know how to build culture. So why would you expect it to be great? Right. It's like, you know, it, 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 it's like just expecting to be great at something without ever practicing, without, you know, building the knowledge. It's like just assuming you can speak another language without figuring out sentence structure, grammar and then learning it and practicing it. Well, same is true as culture. As, as an organization, if you want a great culture, then you have to teach people what it is. And for me, the root cause of pretty much everybody's culture problems is the simple fact that people just don't know how to do it. Um, uh, Shane Hatton talked about this in, in his book and he, you know, he did a whole load of research and found that only 3% in his research, only 3% of leaders actually knew how to build culture and maintain culture, 3%. And when I read it, I was like, wow, that's way more than I expected, <laughs> 3%. But of course, you've got to teach people. And the thing is, right, is when you teach people how to do culture, then they can go and create it. And when they create it, you get, you know, there's a better chance of a vibrant culture where you get increases in engagement, productivity, physical and emotional safety, sales and profitability. And for a private sector company, that's your goal is profitability. If it's government, then it's productivity. We want to be able to do more things to make our lives easier for the general public. Now, Red Bull is an organization I've been working with for some years, uh, and I've been working with them specifically on a, on a global culture project over the last probably two years now. Just, just an awesome organization. So, you know, I talked about intention. The CEO said culture is key. It's our number one priority. Now, most of you listening to this will have heard this. You'll have heard CEOs going, you know, culture's important. You'll see it on websites. But then that's not backed up by the action. It's not backed up by an investment. It's not backed up by an education program. There's never any money. You know, when, when, when time is tight, discretionary spend gets pulled. And anything and everything that could add to the culture uh, is taken away. And so, you know, CEO Red Bull, very bullish, culture is key, and they've invested in that. So is it any wonder that they have a good culture? Is it any wonder that they, they get good results? You know, and, and, and culture is often tied to the brand. And what we want is, you know, if we want people to look at the brand positively, regardless of who you are, you could work at Disney, Universal Music, wherever. But if you want people to, to, to actually truly value the, you know, the, the, the brand, then there's got to be a good culture behind it because when people live and breathe the brand, they naturally feed that back into the culture and they want the organization to succeed. So, you know, what I've been working with on the, on the global learning and development team is a program to educate general managers, senior managers on how to build great culture. And of course, it's tailored to Red Bull. It uses their, their language. I mean, 
Santa Monica in, in the US right now uh, to run a couple more sessions on that. But what, you know, be, be, because people are invested in the brand, what you've got is this real sense of excitement. Yes, we want to know more. We've heard the CEO talk about how culture is key. And we're, we're keen to learn. We're eager to learn. It's not... It, it, it's kind of not accidental, as you'll hear with these great cultures, it's not accidental that they've got a great culture. It's not accidental that, you know, people are queuing up to work for them. Yes, they see the brand, but also they hear people talking positively about the culture and the conditions and how they treat their people and the knowledge they give them such that they're able to contribute. No employee wants to come to work every day and thinks, right, I'm just going to do, you know, kind of the job for myself. That's you know, very much what I would call a stagnant culture is when you've got a lot of selfish employees who are like, I'm going to do what I want to do. <laughs> I don't care about the team and the culture. Um, you know, whereas when you educate people on how they can contribute, then, you know, that's what happens. You know, Airbnb, I'm going to use Airbnb as well. They've got a great culture. Um, when they hire people, they have a week-long process, like part of their induction, that focuses on culture values and strategy all of the things required you know that people need to understand in order that they're able to contribute a lot of organizations that i read about and some that i work with you know they they just need someone with a pulse they just need someone desperately because they've overcommitted to work and so someone starts on day one they don't have all the equipment for them straight away highlighting the kind of culture that they've got their boss isn't there to walk them through talk them through and the immediate sense that they get is, why have I joined? <laughs> um, so, you know, it, it, you know, kind of that's the, something else you can think of there is how do you induct people? You know, when I used to run teams myself, one of the things that I would do is take the time to walk them through, meet, get them to meet different people across my team, you know, give them, give them a sense of what we do, but also talk to them about our expectations of each other, not my expectations of them, uh, our expectations of each other. So one thing to think about here is, is, you know, if you, you know, if you want a good culture, well, you've got to train your managers on how to build culture. So develop a specific, it's not a leadership program, right? You, what you want to do is develop a specific program that teach, teaches uh, people, especially managers, how to build culture. Don't make the assumption that people know. All right, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that, that um, vibrant cultures have strong values, and I love what Brian Chesky said about that. So I'm going to use Airbnb. Good segue there. Uh, Airbnb, Airbnb, sorry, not uh, Airbnb, have very strong values. You know, and I loved what Brian Chesky said. Brian Chesky said, integrity, honesty, those aren't values. Those are values that everyone should have. Absolutely right. You don't want to say, you don't, you, you don't want to state as your values things that should exist. You know, by default, I remember working with a bank once, they had honesty as a value. I'm like, gee, if you have to remind people to be honest, maybe they shouldn't be working in a bank. Um, uh, Brian Chesky went on to say, but there have to be three, five, six things that are unique to you. Now, they used to have six values. But again, one of the great things that Airbnb do, I do this with my programs as well, is they involve the staff in the definition of the values. Because then they become the values of the culture, not the values of the senior leadership team. Too often these things are mandated and then senior leaders are like, oh, why don't people feel connected to the culture? Because you told them what it was. And so they have that little inner teenager that's pushing back on these things. So, so they, they ask for feedback at B&B. Uh, and they worked specifically with the staff on this and they cut them down to four. 
And I like four because four is memorable. You can remember four. They didn't outsource the work to, you know, a consulting company with a terrible culture, of course, because why would you do that? Because all that does is it creates negativity towards the work that you're doing. They're like, oh, this is so typical of us, outsourcing the work to other people rather than us doing it ourselves. Um, so therefore, their four values are championing the mission, right? So they have a very strong mission and, you know, kind of a part of championing the mission is is about uniting with the community. And, and I think their mission is... Uh, let me see if I can remember. Create a world. Create a world. Create a world where anyone can belong, or anyone can belong anywhere. I think that's what it is. Google it. It's got a really strong mission. So that's their first value: champion the mission in whatever way that's right for the individual. All right, because what you want, you want, you want individuality, but individuality that contributes. The second thing is to be a host, and I really like that because what that does is it plays into the Airbnb kind of narrative, uh, which is about you know. Caring, uh, compassion, honesty, um, uh, safety, which I'll talk about shortly. So be a host is, you know, how can you be welcome into other people? The third one is embrace the adventure. So that's very much about curiosity, growth mindsets, um, a, a dedication to growth, individual growth and team growth. You know, that sense that no one's the finished article and, and, you know, we, we want people to feel like when they join a good culture, that that's part of the thrill of the ride. It's just like you don't really know what you're getting other than a really great experience. But you don't you don't know how you get that. And then the last one is be a serial entrepreneur. Now, the word serial is spelled C-E-R-E-A-L. Now, if you know anything about the Airbnb Genesis story, basically Brian Chesky raised the funds to start the business by selling cereal. I wrote about that in Culture Fix, I think. I wrote all these things that I'm talking about all in Culture Fix, the book. So if you're interested in knowing exactly what you can do, and in, after each chapter, I talk specifically about the things that you can do to actually do these things. Uh, so, yes, Serial Entrepreneur, which is really about innovation and ambition and, and vision and these kind of things. So I think, you know, one thing to think about here is, you know, do your values represent who you are as a business and who you, you know, kind of are you embracing them or staff embracing them? If you've got six and people don't know what they are, then, yeah, no. And remember always to get the staff involved because it's their culture. The third thing is don't tolerate brilliant jerks. That phrase was pioneered by Netflix. Uh, Reed Hastings, who is the co-founder of Netflix, said in his book, some, some companies tolerate them. For us, the cost to effective teamwork is too high. Too high. Um, so, you know, they don't do that. They don't do that. And, 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 you know, Netflix very much, I think it was in the 2017 Culture Deck, where they talked about the fact that Netflix hire, develop, and cut smartly, cut smartly, so they have stars in every position, every position. And that's what they're looking for. And they have this thing. Now, feedback is critical to everything that Netflix do. Um, and I think they, whose book was it? It might have been Reed Hastings' book, where he said that um, it's, it's something like it's tantamount to... Um, I think it said it's tantamount to disloyalty if you don't provide feedback that can help an individual to grow, something along those lines. But they have this thing, Netflix, called the Keeper Test. And a Keeper Test is where they ask managers if they'd fight for an employee as an indispensable star. And if, if 
if managers wouldn't fight for them, then they, you know, kind of look to offer them a package. Having said that, though, the other thing that Netflix are really good at is managing poor performance. Because you might be a, you, you might be listening to this going, oh, well, we, we can't afford to pay people off. And I get that. I totally understand that. You know, and as a former manager uh, myself, I think I was only in a position to do it probably once or twice in my entire management career. Definitely not in government. However, what we did have in government when I was in government was really strong probation. And we set expectations not only about work, uh, performance, uh, but also about attitude and contribution to culture. And where we didn't get that, uh, then, you know, we didn't we didn't hire someone at the end of the probation. I love the phrase, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather have a hole in the team than an asshole in the team. I really like that. Um, but it's true. So don't tolerate brilliant jerks. You, you know, you, you really got to make sure that you create the conditions for autonomy so that people understand that they're empowered. Patty McCord, former chief talent officer at Netflix, wrote about this. But then people have got to have the right attitude. They've got to be a good human being to the people around them. They've not got to be selfish and just do their own thing. And they've got to want to contribute to the team. And then they've got to do good work. And if they don't do good work, then there's a pathway. Now, if you're HR, then you've got to make sure that that pathway is not six months. I've worked with you know HR department once, and they were like, oh, it's a six-month process, Colin. I was like, so A, why? And B, uh, I still want to follow it anyway. You know, I, had a, I had a misogynist on the team. Um, so, you know, I think one thing to, to really think about here is, you know, you've got to get good at feedback. You've got to get good at performance management. You've got to be good at setting expectations for people. Make sure that when they join, they get an understanding. There's that culture induction uh, and their expectations behaviorally. And if they don't behave don't let them hold you back. Sometimes it it's, it's only takes one person to hold back an entire culture. I wrote about this recently. Um, and don't allow that to happen. Literally don't allow it to happen. Make sure that you performance manage those people. It's not just about performance. Uh, it's about behavior too. Number four is create safety. Now, uh, safety, if you're interested in psychological safety, uh, then I highly recommend you follow Amy Edmonton, who has been talking about this for years. I've followed her for years and it's great to see that it's now part of our language. And And she defines psychological safety as kind of shared belief held by members of a team uh, that the team is safe for interpersonal risk taking. So these are teams that are free of blame, free of harassment, but also psychological safety is not being overworked. Now, Google uh, surveyed its teams, I think it was between 2012, 2015, it's called Project Aristotle. If you're interested, go and have a look. And they found that the number one success factor was psychological safety. And it's something that they focus a lot on. They used to have a chief happiness officer uh, called Chade Meng Tan. Uh, he's, he's written a couple of good books. Uh, so go and have a look at that. And, and you know, what they found was the, the empathy. So actually making time for people to understand each other. So, you know, human connection drives collaboration. When organizations are task-focused first, what they do is create the conditions for individual but not team performance. And actually it drives a wedge between people rather than bring bring people uh, closer together. So safety is where, you know, we, we get to know each other, we get to understand each other. There are no stupid ideas. We help each other to understand. And what we don't do is agree to disagree. 
when you agree to disagree, what that does is it undermines psychological safety because it means that we never ever get to the point where we resolve differences. And psychologically safe teams are, yeah, not only where you feel you can bring your best self to work, which is great because that's where you get peak performance when you feel able to do that. You don't have to put a game face on or bring a different person to work. Have you ever done that? I know I've done that. I used to do that from time to time. It's like, oh, I have to be this person when I'm dealing with this manager. And, 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 and that's different from changing your communication style based on who you're dealing with. Um, but yeah, so there's got to be this, you know, kind of agreement that we'll work together, you know, this concept of um, kind of agreeing uh, um, where you actually create forward momentum. So I think the thing to think about here with safety is, well, actually, as teams sit down and agree what's appropriate, what's not, it sounds obvious, I know. You know, when I, when I uh, teach managers how to, build cultures you know I talk about having you know a team agreement sounds fairly obvious and it, you know some teams do it where you agree how you're going to behave towards each other what's a good human trait what's appropriate what's not in your team and then what's that expectation that you have of each other uh, and how will you you know when when you fail which is inevitable because we're all human beings then how are we going to help each other to rebound? And that's at the core of resilience, really. But yeah, psychological safety is number four. And then the last one is creativity and, and innovation, I suppose. Now, creativity is an imaginative process. So this is where you come up with ideas as opposed to innovation, which is productive. So you can't really measure creativity. You can measure the amount of time you spend being creative. Um, but innovation, you can measure. We took that idea, we developed it into this project, we implemented it, it failed, we learned, you know, we factored that learning into future um, future projects. Now, now, the vibrant cultures, they make time to be creative. You know, 3M pioneered this thing called 20% time. And this was post-Second World War when they realized that they had scotch tape and that was great. But yeah, I wrote about this in Culture Fix, but um, they had scotch tape, which was great. But actually what they wanted to do was to make sure that they, you know, had other products that they can sell. So they gave their engineers one day a week to work on whatever they wanted. And that's where you came up with that. That's where they came up with the post-it note, which still makes them a ton of cash. And this 20% time, this one day a week was copied by all the big tech companies, Microsoft and Google and Apple and Facebook and all these people and, and even Spotify. Um, now, uh, Spotify are a great example of an organization that are innovative. Uh, innovative is one of their values, although I don't agree with the wording, but that's fine. Um, and they talk about we move fast, we take big risks, we're unafraid to fail. And of course, what that requires is safety, which is what I just talked about. So they have plenty of that within their culture. But also, they actually make time to think of new ideas. Most people, most cultures, when I start working with them, you know, I always say, how much time have you got to think? They're like, what, like at the weekend? <laughs> I'm like, well, no, in your job during the week? No, I've got no time. I've got no time. Of course, because they get stuck into these really terrible cultural norms of meetings and emails. Um, you know, for one, they're working on things that just add no value for two. And, you know, they're not been taught how to prioritize their work and, and to be productive. Um, 
you know, and, and, and for me, creativity is just about bringing people together for a period of time to look at an issue you've got and say, well, how many ideas can we come up with to actually solve this issue? And then picking one of those and saying, right, well, let's do that to try and resolve this. And then at that point, it becomes innovation. You know, every 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 organization I talk about, you know, they say, oh, yeah, senior leaders really want more innovation, but there just isn't time. Ed Catmull talked about this in his book. Ed Catmull is one of the founders of Pixar. And he, he said, it's a really great book. Obviously, Pixar, highly, highly creative organization. And people are like, oh, well, it would be works in creative industries. Yeah, well, you still need to hire the people and then give them the, you know, time to do, be creative. But, but Ed Catmull said executives have to resist the natural tendency to avoid or, or minimize risks. And that then gives rise to, to creativity and one thing's one of the things that Toyota do really well Toyota have got a, a, a database that captures ideas from people which they then use in the production of their cars so one thing to think about there is is actually making time for creativity I stole 20% time from the tech companies when I was a manager and we, we had 5% time I couldn't give a day I couldn't give my staff a day a week but we could find two hours a week and that's 5% time, two hours a week to look at a problem we've got and actually come up with some solutions to change it. And organizations have copied this. And there are some organizations that I've been working with and I have worked with, they're still doing 5% time. I spoke to someone recently, I did a, uh, I did a year-long program with a, with a team in Canberra about four years ago, and I spoke to someone recently, she was like, oh my gosh, we still do 5% time. And it's great, and there's proof there that you can do all of these things, right? So train managers on how to build culture, have a set of strong values, don't tolerate brilliant jerks, create psychological safety and make time for creativity and innovation. You can do all of those things, but linking back to what I said at the start, there's got to be the intention to do so. It can't just be words. You've got to have the knowledge of how to do it. You've got to take action then you've got to assess the impact and then do it again. Hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to find out more about how I can help you transform the culture of your team, head to my website at www.colindellis.com.